Hey, welcome everybody to another edition of Let's Talk About It. This is Susan Johnson and my co-host is off doing great things as he's running for office this time for the Willimantic Taxing District. So Dennis O'Brien will be back after the election. But right now I have a wonderful guest uh, who is going to tell us all kinds of things great things about what she's been doing and all the things she's done for the town and I just can't be happy enough to introduce Paula Haney who sits on the Board of Education, used to be on the Board of Finance and has done so many great things for the town but also she's a physical therapist and she has a great medical background and uh, some of the things that she's done includes working with the Arthritis Foundation and I just am so pleased that you're here to join us uh, celebrating the 75th anniversary of the Arthritis Foundation. So welcome to the show, Paula. Oh, Susan, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have an opportunity to talk with you and share things that are going on in the community and, and certainly in our state. Um, yes, it's been wonderful working with the Arthritis Foundation. It's an excellent organization, and it is indeed celebrating its 75th year. Um, amazing and especially when we look back over 75 years to the change in the treatments the change in how our patients with doctor diagnosed uh, arthritis have none of the extreme disabilities and contractures that we used to see with with patients years ago even when I started in physical therapy years ago we had patients who uh, their joint damage was so intense that they lost their mobility. Uh, many children, yes, children get arthritis too, and those kids usually did not, um, were not able to play uh, mm -hmm. soccer. My goodness, many of them over time were in wheelchairs. Exactly. Well, why don't we start with the different types of arthritis because sometimes we just use that term arthritis mm -hmm. and uh, there are different types of arthritis and uh, I, I think it would be helpful because some people don't think in terms of children having arthritis That's but right. it uh, is an immune disorder and uh, what it does is your immune system does attack your bones and so on and so forth mm -hmm. but there's all kinds of different aspects to it and I know you are a very good expert so let's start off with the what's what let's go to the common from the most common to the least common okay um, the most common that people uh, know about is osteoarthritis which in and of itself isn't an autoimmune disease but in fact is a degenerative joint disease which can occur because of the way someone's joints are made so that would be um, you know from birth uh, it could be trauma from uh, accidents or injuries matter of fact um, osteoarthritis rates as the third highest cause of discharge from the military for Ooh. our soldiers because wow. of the uh, huge packs that they're required to have um, certainly the injuries that they can sustain in um, in war zones so yes it's it's huge but we see it in our athletes um, and and we see it in everyday life um, it was always, we always thought of arthritis as an elder's condition. Um, but in fact, we know that our UConn basketball players have sustained 
uh, arthritic-related uh, injuries, and um, certainly that is a byproduct of of a lot of our athletics. <laughs> so a lot of physical physical things that people do, whether it's athletics or uh, some types of work, uh, mm-hmm. where you would have uh, regular, uh, say. Uh, regular use of a hand in a particular way, maybe how you're holding your hand on your computer, for example, might create arthritis. Or um, there are other, like people who play musical instruments uh, a lot. Uh, Usually, yes, we refer to OA as a wear and tear uh-huh. disease, exactly. Yes. So yes, it, it can be very much an occupation-related uh, condition as well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and then there's, a, and you were mentioning the little ones, and uh, that is uh, more of an autoimmune deficiency. That's right. Then we get into the autoimmune uh, diseases, and that's, we know mostly rheumatoid arthritis, for right. instance. Um, lots of folks, lots of elders get, uh, not elders, adults mm-hmm. get rheumatoid arthritis, an autoimmune disease. But then children can be diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Um, children as early as months old can be diagnosed um, and a lot of times depending on where you are in this country if there aren't pediatric rheumatologists sometimes children go for years without being properly diagnosed and that's when joint damage can be can really set in yeah so this uh, raises some really very interesting questions in terms of uh, when you get diagnosed, what kind of treatment, uh, how uh, how might, let's start with your profession as a physical mm-hmm. therapist. Uh, in terms of physical therapy, there might be uh, ways to adjust the way you move to limit the pain or the deter- continue the deterioration of the, of the joint. We have found, even in osteoarthritis, which... Um, we probably have the least amount of control over in terms of its um, degeneration and its progression, we do know that there are a couple of things that really impact OA, and that can be weight. Not necessarily how much you weigh, but if you tend to change your weight a lot, people who diet and then they lose a lot of weight and then they gain it back, sometimes that can impact um, OA. Uh, Certainly, if you're weak, the most important thing you can do for your joints, especially when you have OA, is to keep your muscle strength. As long as you keep those muscles good and strong, they're going to protect your joints. Oh, this is very, very interesting because this is something that I, I think is one of the most important things as we get older is increasing the your strength or at least maintaining the strength. So some people, I weight trained for years and years, but have gone kind of off the off the rails, so to speak, with weight training since COVID. I have a little gym in the in the uh, in my house, but uh, it's not the same as going and doing all the weight training that I did before COVID. And I think that you know, just walking sometimes can help with some of these uh, muscles and uh, making sure that the uh, that the circulation uh, is moving as it should. Uh, through from you know from movement through the veins and then of course pumped back through the system so mm-hmm. and the arteries uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about that muscle you know strength and what people could do just listening to us 
What would be the best thing? Would it be to start off walking? Walking is an excellent means of exercise. Um, you know, it, it does help, especially if you already have sore joints, watch where you're walking. Mm -hmm. Sometimes walking on pavement can be, you know, more uh, difficult on the joints. So if you can find a nice trail, a nice place where uh, tracks around the high school football yeah. field, for instance. It's a good spot, um, yes, good um, for the joints. Yes. That's, that's a much better way. Don't stress. You want to be able to start your program gently. Um, don't go right into a lot of heavy resistance. Uh, we're now going to start putting strain on muscles and joints. So you want to start easy. And probably being consistent mm -hmm. is another important piece. Regular walking. And what about footwear? Should there be some good cushiony footwear? Yep. It's always good to have a good supportive <laughs> shoe. Um, you want to protect those feet. Mm -hmm. There's no getting away from your feet, especially if they're sore. So you want to make sure that you have good arch support and a nice cushion, especially around the heel. And, of course, uh, when you look at that arch support and you look at perhaps now, I know one of the things that might you know, cause a, a problem uh, and one of the things when I think about uh, arch support, the right kind of uh, shoe, is the pronation where the foot goes off a little bit to the side. And when you have a pronation, it can have an impact on your uh, knee joints and perhaps even your back. They're all related. Oh, you yes. Know, I, we always we always heard that, you know, the hip bone's connected to the knee bone. I love that. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. certainly if, true. If I could sing, I'd sing the song. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, go part. <laughs> But truly, uh, how we how our feet are positioned definitely affects our knees, which then in turn can affect our hips and ultimately our backs. I mean, it, it all is all matched up. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I did want to get that in there because I think when we're talking about wear and tear, like an osteoarthritis, wear and tear on the joints, all these things can come into play. So if you start having those, you know, symptoms of discomfort, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, this is a time to go to the doctor and get an order for physical therapy and look at what kinds of braces, what kinds of shoes you might want to do to mitigate the wear and tear on the joints. That's right. Um, taking care of your joints, supporting your joints. Yep. And the biggest Joint thing protection. is muscles, muscles, muscles. That's right. That's right. <laughs> very, very good. You know, and that does lead into some of the other uh, types of arthritis. For yes. instance, ankylosing spondylitis, which, oh, yes. you know, uh, severely affects the, uh, the spine. And then you're know, talking about things that have effects as a result of that is because of the difficulty in the back, you start losing your... Um, your ability to stand up straight, to bring your shoulders back, which then affects your vital capacity and your ability to have your lungs working properly. So that's an effect of that. Psoriatic arthritis. Yes, well, ankylizing spondylitis is something that's very, very uh, difficult and also is a part of a, sometimes a genetic test can make a decision about whether or not you'd have ankylizing spondylitis. Mm -hmm. Yes, many of your... Um, Many of the autoimmune diseases usually have a genetic marker yes. that is indicative of the potential for coming down with, with one of the uh, diseases. Ankylizing spondylitis also can affect your vision. 
Okay. <laughs> oh, I just, I, I actually have been studying it. My brother ah. has ankle license for the latest. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, okay. yes. And that's been uh, a real concern and, and uh, in our family because I was tested for it as well because I have, I have a little scoliosis which is uh, considered to be ankylosing spondylitis so but he had the he tested positive for the genome test i know there are even with children Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. vision can can definitely be impacted yes yeah so Mm -hmm. that was one of the things go ahead i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but i thought it was interesting to find out that a lot of these immune deficiency disorders can be uh can actually be uh, tested now with uh, genetic testing Mm mm-hmm Another way we've come so far. This is big, though, to be able yeah. to do that. Now the next thing I hope that we do. What was the next one you before after ankylosing spondylitis? Psoriatic arthritis. Psoriatic arthritis. Yes, mm-hmm. please go into that one. That's they do a lot of advertisements on TV with psoriatic arthritis. Well, um, and that that's kind of personal for me because one of my sons has oh. was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. probably about ten years ago. And uh, it, it is. It affects the joints, yep. as all arthritis does, but it also affects the skin. Yes. And uh, that can be extremely painful and embarrassing and, um, you know, set yourself up for infection, being that they're, you know, open wounds. So, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. And that affects primarily the hands, the feet, and the back. And that's very, very difficult. The hands and the feet and the back, I mean, that's how we all get around. <laughs> exactly. So that's very, very difficult. And then to have the skin problem to go along with it, I mean, and I wonder, um, is uh, when that's diagnosed, is it because of maybe a, of something that happens with the skin and a dermatologist finds it? or? Well, very possibly. In our case, our, our personal case, um, my son was playing semi-pro football. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at the end of the season, you're always banged up and swollen. But um, he came to me one day, and he says, Mom, my hands are just so swollen. And he had the very characteristic sausage-like swelling um. of his fingers. And that was that was a sign for us. I see. Um, and you were, of course, able to identify it because mm-hmm. of your background. But yep. that is, uh... And off he went to a rheumatologist. Very, very good. <laughs> very good. And so that is the so the so what and so the for the little ones when the little ones have arthritis tell mm-hmm. us about that and are there things that the parents can do to in, make sure their muscle strength is good to limit the pain. Well, I think there we are very fortunate in the state of Connecticut to have some pretty incredible pediatric rheumatologists. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of our states are are that uh, that lucky. Um, matter of fact, we'll be talking about the event tomorrow night, and one of the honorees for tomorrow night is Dr. Lawrence Zemmel, who was probably one of the first pediatric rheumatologists wow. in our state. That's fabulous. Um, and I, I think getting diagnosed, getting that diagnosis is the most important. And then from there, the appropriate referrals, um, medication, physical therapy, um, whatever if equipment that they might need to, to protect their joints. Mm-hmm. So, yes, getting that diagnosis is the most important. Yes, that way you can maintain and make sure they have a normal life and, uh, 
as close to normal as you can get with these types of conditions because mm -hmm. these are all uh, affect the movement, the ability for people to function and moving is one of the things people want to be able to do. So I'm just very, very uh, thrilled to be able to talk to you about what the Arthritis Foundation has been able to accomplish and some of the work uh, that they've been able to develop uh, all throughout Connecticut and the nation. And I'm wondering, in terms of um, making sure people have access to treatment, tell us a little bit about how the Arthritis Foundation does that. We have, the Arthritis Foundation has a very active advocacy group. Yes. Um, Including I, you. <laughs> well, Including I, <laughs> I am privileged <laughs> to be the advocacy chair for, for Connecticut's chapter. Thank you for that uh, work. Thank you. We have worked uh, for years um, locally. I've worked with you. Yes. Um, I remember going to the uh, to the bill signing for the first part of our step therapy. Yes. Bill, which we can talk about. Um, but we do have every year our day on the hill, mm -hmm. and we have some years we have representation from just about every state to go to the Hill, talk to our representatives, talk to our senators about bills that impact people with arthritis. This year uh, was our first year back in person after COVID. Mm -hmm. So it was a pretty incredible year. We got there the day of the first session. <laughs> oh. Folks were just getting back to um, their offices. But um, we had two very important bills that we were asking for their support and that is called one is called the safe step therapy bill uh, which is for those cases where insurance companies will quite often request that a patient take a lesser expensive medication regardless of what the rheumatologist has prescribed as a trial before receiving the medication that the doctor actually feels the patient requires. And this did happen to my son as well. When he was first diagnosed, his uh, flare was so great that the doctor felt he needed a biologic, needed to immediately begin a biologic. The insurance company would not pay for a biologic. He had to start on a lesser medication, methotrexate, which did nothing for him. And let's just go first to talk about the biologics because I think that some people um, are not totally familiar with biologics and mm -hmm. uh, so tell us a little bit about what a biologic is and what's the difference between that and a, and a medication that has been developed by the pharmaceutical industry. A biologic is actually made from a living some part of a living organism. It is a very large molecule, mm -hmm. and it directly uh, impacts the receptors that will increase inflammation. And that's the autoimmune part of the disease, where this receptor is engaged, it becomes active, and it starts to create this incredible inflammation, usually around the joints. It can also affect other parts of the body. So the biologic is able to go in and block that receptor so that we reduce the inflammation and thus reduce the joint damage. Other medications are made synthetically from other materials and they can reduce the pain, um, but they're not so directly involved in the actual mechanisms 
of the inflammation. And this is how long, I, I know the biologics have been around maybe more, a little around 20 years? Probably, yeah. yeah. I think in the 90s is when they yeah. really started. Yeah, and I remember when I was working to as an advocate for Medicare beneficiaries, uh, a lot of the controversy was over whether or not a patient could get a biologic. And some of the times we'd do an appeal because they weren't getting the biologic in the nursing facility and they should have been part of that that process mm -hmm. and uh, so that was uh, and then there is uh, something that's developed since the biologics that are not quite the same. Biosimilars. Biosimilars are um, essentially the same as biologics. Mm -hmm. uh, we always try and get give me a clear explanation and I'm not <laughs> sure there really is but basically they are the second phase they're still live organisms, so they're not synthetic. They're very similar. They are almost exactly like the biologics from which they basically come. <laughs> <laughs> but I think because they are a second level, they have not had to go through the amount of research and trial that the other that the biologics have. The, the research is already there, the information is already there. And so for that reason, they can be a little less expensive than the biologics, but not a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that, <laughs> well, I, I know that people are, when the biosimilars came out, I know that people are trying to get the biosimilars at least. And, uh, and uh, you know, that was uh, because the, like again, the, the things the pharmaceuticals make just from straight chemistry, uh, doesn't really uh, does not really uh, create the the limitation of the inflammation that has to occur, right. and it doesn't follow the neurotransmitters the way that it would mm -hmm. uh, in a biologic because that's just uh, they the neuro uh, the neurologic uh, receptors are more receptive to a biologic than they would be to, or to a biosimilar that's than right. they would be to a, uh, a pharmaceutical. And the Arthritis Foundation has taken a stand on that, and, and they have um, said, you know, biosimilars are certainly acceptable. If that's what your doctor feels that you can handle, um, but their feeling is that patients should know if they're getting biosimilars, there should be transparency and certainly monitored as to whether or not it is as effective for that particular patient as the biologic was. This is absolutely fascinating. Uh, this is Susan Johnson. I'm here with Paula Haney, who is in charge of outreach for the Arthritis Foundation, which we're going to be celebrating uh, today, uh, 75 years of service uh, to the arthritis community. Uh, but we are going to stop for these messages, and we will be returning with this fabulous information about arthritis and discussion more about what's going on with the Arthritis Foundation. Welcome back, everyone. This is Susan Johnson. I'm here with our very special guest this evening, Paula Haney, who is uh, the she's the director of community outreach for the uh, Arthritis Foundation here in Connecticut, and she's done amazing work at the Capitol. And I've seen her there, and we've worked on all kinds of different things uh, together. And we're here now to talk about and to celebrate 75 years of service uh, with the Arthritis Foundation. And I just want to say, I want to be able to present to you the, the uh, citation that's from me and Senator Flexer. And I'm going to put this in front of us. 
And it's going to be from uh, us, from the Connecticut General Assembly, and from Susan Johnson and Senator May Flexer. Be it hereby known to all that the Connecticut General Assembly hereby offers its sincerest congratulations to the Arthritis Foundation in recognition of 75 years of service to the arthritis community. The Arthritis Foundation has facilitated health care access changes that have helped people with arthritis live healthier lives through medication improvements, and physical therapy care. The entire membership extends its very best wishes on this memorable occasion and expresses the hope for continued success given the 29th day of September at the Capitol. It's signed by President Pro Tem Marty Looney, Speaker of the House Matt Ritter, and Secretary of State Stephanie Thomas. So very, very good. Uh, this is great, and uh, thank you, and well-deserved honor. Oh, that's And so I'm just exciting. very pleased that we're able to celebrate today uh, oh. with respect to the uh, Arthritis Foundation's 75 years of service to people who have these mobility issues, and it makes a, our society better all the way around when people can get around. That's very true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so tell us some more about the outreach work that's been going on. I know we did a great job talking about uh, the biologics and the biosimilars and the differences between biologics, biosimilars, and the medications that are just pharmaceutical medications that don't have that, uh, that other uh, component to them that is actually uh, something that I think as we move forward with the human genome, this is going to be more and more mm -hmm. uh, something that uh, is going to be more relevant in terms of treatment and therapy and, and actually helping people with uh, with the immunodeficiency disorders and also with the wear and tear type of osteoarthritis. Yes, because there is, for the first time, there is a uh, very active research going on for osteoarthritis and uh, possibly some uh, medications down the road that can actually impact the progression of osteoarthritis and that that is new that is going to be very exciting I think that we have to realize how fortunate we are in the state of Connecticut and I'm going to attribute a lot of that to you, Susan, because oh. you have been so active in the health-related causes for and bills for our state. Thank you. Um, but I can remember going to a lot of our arthritis national meetings and talking about the fact that we were one of the first states to actually pass the Safe Step Therapy Act. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is that it isn't a federal ruling. And that was what we were doing on the Hill, trying to make the Safe um, Step Act become a federal law, uh, along with the what is called the Help Copays Count Bill. Uh -huh. And that is, um, that's a big one. That's big. Folks. Yes, it is. Tell us about that, because that is, that sounds to me like it's going to be a huge, huge plus for, for mm -hmm. the average person that has to deal with these things. There are, for folks that are um, suffering from chronic illnesses and medications that are very expensive, you'll often see an advertisement that the pharmaceutical company can assist you if you have trouble paying for your medication. Well, what happens is, again, if you have a copay coinsurance, which is even worse, um, there are pharmaceutical companies and, and other uh, folks that can help pay that copay 
with you. The trouble is that's usually just a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. So um, the person will start the year with this kind of assistance to pay for their medications, and then maybe two months down the road, that assistance is used up. And they are suddenly faced with paying the full amount of their copay or their coinsurance. Now, for some folks who are on, you know, your basic pharmaceuticals, that probably doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're on medications that can cost up to $6,000 a month, that assistance is much, much needed. Mm-hmm. And so what what is what the HELP Copays Act um, is about is making that assistance part of your um, deductible mm-hmm. so that once you know once you reach your deductible and in your insurance plan, then your medications are paid for. Well, what's happening is that assistance right now is not being used towards the deductible. So when that assistant ends, the person is held responsible for their entire copay or coinsurance until they reach their deductible, which could take time. So with this accumulator um, act, the money that is given, whether it's a gift, whether somebody else helps them, uh, or whether it comes from a pharmaceutical uh, company, all that assistance is to be counted along with what the patient pays so that they can reach their deductible sooner and not have to be responsible for the total amount of the copay or coinsurance. And this would be this would be required of all insurance? Once it becomes yes. And I think in Connecticut we have this in place, but it doesn't I don't believe it applies to all employee or employer paid insurance. So let's make a distinction here because this is an issue that I'm really focused on. And that is the difference between uh, the Affordable Care Act plans and the Connecticut regulated plans. And then there's the ERISA plans or the self-insurance plans. And the self-insurance plans don't have to go by Connecticut regulation. And uh, they're also known as ERISA plans, the Employee Retirement and Security Act, um, Insurance and Security Act. And what's happened, uh, that was passed in 1974. ERISA plans, uh, of course, they have their standards, and they were created uh, so that there would be a standardized type of insurance all throughout the country. And then they left the regulations. The state wanted to do more with the plan, and the the, uh, employer opted into or the uh, who, whatever pro, whatever it was opted into a, a plan could choose an ERISA plan that is not regulated or they could choose a regulated plan through the state of Connecticut. The unregulated plans are usually plans that are done by large, large corporations. The state of Connecticut, for example, uses ERISA self-insurance plans, but they do not create a high deductible. They do not do these things that some of the other plans do where they have huge high deductibles and they make it almost impossible for anybody to be able to get through the deductible in a particular year. So many of these ERISA plans, say for example, have $6,000 deductibles for every single person that's in the plan in the family. So if they get into some kind of 
uh, say they need cancer treatment or something, it's almost impossible for a lower income person to be able to reach the payment of all the medical services in a year that go to f up to the $6,000 deductible. And so what happens is it impacts the uh, hospitals and the providers to the point where they don't get the money they should get and the cycle is that once they don't get the money they they need then they increase their rates and then that goes on to another cycle where the rates have increased and then the insurance industry says well it costs more money now and so now we're going to increase our premiums and it's been going on and on and on and on for generations and still, because of the complexity, people don't understand what's happening. In any event, it's an issue I'm working on because there's been a new suggestion by the Connecticut Business and Industry Association that we do a small group association plans that would ultimately be mostly ERISA plans. And not many of the small businesses are going to want to go into a Connecticut regulated plan because they cost the premiums more. Uh, the deductibles are lower and it's more usable, but it's always the attractive lure of the uh, of the low premium, mm -hmm. high deductible plan that uh, gets yes. people, and it's what's gotten people here, I think, in our in our town uh, our town insurance plans too, right here in right here in Wyndham. So I, that's one of the things to understand is the differences, and I think sometimes people attribute the these these uh, high deductible plans to the Affordable Care Act, which it is not. It's ERISA, uh, and it's an ERISA plan. It's federally regulated, and the state has very limited capacity to regulate them. And then under the Small Business Employer Plan, those are Affordable Care Act plans, and they are subsidized. And so in the Small Employer Business Plans, uh, if there if there are any kinds of things where the person can't afford the premiums or the deductible, the uh, according to the whatever rates they have now in Connecticut for the Affordable Care Act plans, they actually uh, put themselves in a situation where that lower income person will get a subsidy from the Affordable Care Act instead. But you don't get that subsidy with the ERISA plans. Just saying. And like I said, thank goodness we have Representative Susan Johnson to help us through the quagmire. <laughs> and I didn't mean to do that, but it's just I'm on fire about this, and I and I, I do want to make sure people understand the differences between the Affordable Care Act, the private regulated Connecticut plans, mm -hmm. and the ERISA plans or self-insurance plans. Yes. Just saying. Well, no, it, it has to be said. Yes, okay, <laughs> but please go ahead with arthritis work. So please. But that so those were our two main priorities on the Hill, um, and we're always looking for our our representatives and our senators to join the arthritis caucus uh, in order for them to be fully aware of all of the issues and how it to. impacts people yeah. with arthritis. If you want a letter from me, you've got it. I mean, I'm okay. glad to send it off to our Congressman Courtney and off to our state, our United States Senators, uh, Blumenthal and Murphy. And I think that all of, all, well, Blumenthal and, and, and uh, no, 
Murphy and uh, Courtney all chaired the Public Health Committee when they were in the Connecticut legislature. Uh, and, of course, Blumenthal took care of everything as the Attorney General. So, oh dear. <laughs> so he understands it all. Yes. Uh, but, uh, but they were both public health chairs. And uh, so I know that they get this, and they will be, um, I think they'll be good contact people. I don't want to speak for them, but. Yeah, well, I, as of right now, I, I believe that there is only one, well, I won't say that. Right now, the three that you have mentioned are all members of the Arthritis Caucus. That's great. So, and again, I, I say it over and over again, we are so fortunate in the state of Connecticut mm -hmm. to have mm -hmm. the representatives, the legislators that we do, because um, we are, in most cases, way ahead of the game. That's great. And this is a wonderful thing. I love this proposal. This is a wonderful proposal, and it would be wonderful to be able to get rid of step therapy altogether and let the doctors make the uh, decisions for arthritis and for everything else. I mean, because they keep moving back and forth. We got rid of step therapy for a while there, and then somehow I went off the insurance and real estate committee, and uh, some of it's back now. Back <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm coming back. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, I they, mean, yeah uh, they put it in these little places. You know, <laughs> and the thing is that, you know, even in my son's case, you know, for that amount of time that he should have been on a biologic that right. he wasn't, how much joint damage was going on? Thank you. Yes. That, you know? Horrible. It's horrible because... By taking that away down the road, they create a bigger problem and a more expensive problem for somebody, and they uh, it's really not, not smart. I mean, there's just these things, and I, I could never figure it out. Why would you do that when it's going to cost so much less in the long run well, to do this? Well, that's true. I mean, minimizing the damage and disability, and never mind the hospitalizations. That Thank you. Yes. All these things, uh, joint replacements, uh, all kinds of things. And while we're thinking of joint replacements, how does that work with uh, osteoarthritis and some of the other types of arthritis? Is there different types of joint replacements for different types of arthritis? Um, I'm not so sure that there are different types. Okay. It usually is according to a person's makeup. There, um, some people have allergies to certain types of, of metals. Sure. Um, so uh, usually, and now with our um, robotics and our ability to actually customize a joint replacement prosthesis. Wow. I mean, that's just amazing rather than, you know, just taking a generic one off yes. the shelf. And now they can actually customize, uh, especially knees, mm -hmm. which is... Uh, I've, incredibly I've, helpful that is that is huge the knees are really uh the place where you see so many people have so much difficulty as they age and uh having the knee replacements are something that uh, can really revive someone's ability to move mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it, it does take a lot of therapy um even though you know knees only bend and straighten um, there's a lot of stress on knees, and, and you really do need a lot of good rehab after having a, a knee replaced. And while we're talking about the knee replacement, before you get to knee replacement, sometimes there's um, things that you can do to mitigate some of the pressure on the knee, like using a cane or a walker. Can you tell us a little bit about that? My goodness. That is probably one of the mantras. <laughs> 
<laughs> that we have utilized for years. People who absolutely refuse to use a cane. Because uh, there's so many, yes. There's a little bit of vanity involved, or I just don't need it. But it's amazing with the use of a cane how much you can improve your gait which again, just like we talked before, how something at the ankle can affect the knee, can affect the back. The same with using an assistive device. If you take that little bit of strain off, you're not gonna limp. You're not gonna create issues at your other joints. So better to have that cane, and they make some pretty fancy ones these days. Okay, yeah, yeah um, you could use them kind of like a baton. Yeah, yeah, a little dance step. <laughs> so if you use that cane, you are going to take some of the pressure off your affected joint. And always remember to use it in the opposite hand. Oh. So if it's your right knee that's affected, you should be using your cane in your left hand. Unlike that, what was that show some years ago, the doctor who insisted on using his cane on the same side and was constantly limping down the hallway. I can't remember the name of the well, show. I don't, re I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was, I can remember everybody was up in arms because he was using his cane in the wrong side and even after it got to the, the uh, studio, whatever, he refused to change. <laughs> I guess it became his signature movement. But yes, it's always in the opposite hand That's and great. it will definitely take some of the pressure off that joint so mm -hmm. that you can have a more normal gait pattern. And what if both joints are affected? Would a walker be a... A walker? Then you have to watch out with walkers. Are There's a tendency to lean forward a little bit. Mm -hmm. But some and of them, now they're making them higher. Back. Now, yes, they are. They're making them higher. Yeah. Um, loft strand crutches is another option. Um, also called Canadian crutches. Uh -huh. We were in England some years ago and I was astounded never saw a walker anywhere mm -hmm. but I did see so many people using loft strand crutches explain that because I don't I've never heard or seen that a loft strand crutch is one that it cuffs mm -hmm. around the back of your arm and it has a piece that comes out that you hold on to oh yeah so it looks like a regular crutch but it's got that arm piece so you're not putting weight under your arms which oh, is yes always been the problem with standard crutches is leaning on them um, so you have none of that you've got the support and uh, you can stand up straight yeah because it's really puts uh, having that posture problem especially as you age uh, and your 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 back tends to come together more and more because you lose some of the, uh, you know, ligaments in the yeah. back, right? The, the discs start the discs to dry up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We lose height. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, the, it's a perfectly normal response to flex when you're in pain. Mm -hmm. um, it's a protective mechanism. It's a reflex. So the more you're in pain, the more you're apt to flex we want you to be nice and straight yes it's standing up straight leaning back practicing your gait making sure you got the cushiony cushiony shoes mm -hmm. keeping those muscles strong these are the things we must and do and being able to take your medication and afford it 
Exactly, and that's also extremely, extremely important for, uh, for the long run and for the health of our entire society to make sure everybody can get around and move around. That's, that's just a big deal, mm -hmm. and it should be the way things are. And whatever we can do to make sure people can do that, we will be working on it with the Arthritis Foundation and Paula Haney, and I'll be working on it. And we've got a couple more minutes. You want to say a few more things? What, what, what words of advice uh, can you give to folks about uh, what they should be doing? If they, have, if they have a little pain, maybe it's time to see the doctor and get an order, something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many ways that we can diagnose what's going on with our joints. And if, in fact, you are um, in the, the throes of an autoimmune disease. So there is no reason why anybody should have to be in extreme pain anymore. Let's get to the doctor. Let's get a diagnosis. Let's get our treatment managed. Um, and, you know, people now are so much more in control of their lives. And that's a wonderful thing. That's actually how I started out in the Arthritis Foundation was uh, developing a program of self-management. And uh, let's take control. Let's yeah, take control. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, uh, Paula Haney, who's done great work here in town uh, as a member of the Board of Education, Board of Finance, and also doing great work as a physical therapist, helping so many people uh, with all kinds of physiological problems, and as the chair of uh, community relations for the Arthritis Foundation in the state of Connecticut. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate all the amazing work you do. Thank you. It's been a privilege.